Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I've been saying for some time, and I you know, I think we've recorded an episode like this, but I really love to do Q&A. Um, I want to make sure that this is uh, an, a platform that adds as much value as possible. Um, and for me, I love uh, when folks ask questions. It's very direct. It's very on point. And I feel like uh, we can create connection in uh, in doing so. And if you know there's enough Q&A, then you know, we create a community around solving some of these problems uh, that we have around behavior and how we can grow and be better. So I have a couple of questions that folks uh, sent to me. I'm going to read them off. Shout outs to everybody who uh, who sent me questions. But I'm going to get into the questions and then answer them. And uh, hopefully you find something in the episode uh, that you find value in and you can apply. All right. So cool. So the first question um I'm not going to say who sent it, but the question says, so how these prefer the quickest way from point A to point B? And if that's true, then why do you often do things the hard way? Air quotes. Right. So one, that's a great question. So I'm a 99 D. Uh, my adaptive is a 95 D. So there really isn't much difference. But there isn't much observable difference in my natural and adaptive behavior. Typically, um, you start to notice a variance or a difference in behavior, you know, with 10 points or more. But high Ds are wired for efficiency, right? So they're wired. How do we get from point A to point B as quickly as possible? Now, when people say the hard way, high Ds are motivated by challenges. So... I would say Hadis make up about 9%, 9 to 12% of the population. The rest of the population is going to be risk averse, where Hadis thrive off of challenge and thrive off of things of significance, problems of significance. So we're natural problem solvers. So for me, though I do like to be efficient, do I do I do like to move quickly and I do like to move with rigor and urgency, I also get a sense of, it's almost like my dopamine reward system gets triggered when I uh, see a problem or come across a problem and I'm going through the process of solving it. And then when I ultimately solve the problem, there's almost like this euphoric feeling, right? So I can understand why folks think on the outside, it's doing something the hard way, but it's just the way that a high D is wired. Now for folks who are high D's and I'm speaking to myself as well, I think it's really important to understand that moving quickly is great when you're making the right decision. Just because you're a high D doesn't mean that you make sound decisions. It doesn't mean that you're right. It just means that you prefer and you like to lean into problems and you, um, you like to do so with urgency and rigor. It doesn't make you a good problem solver. It doesn't make you the best decision maker. It doesn't mean that you have to lead or be the boss, right? We're just wired for challenges, which makes us, in my opinion, the most easily manipulated of the bunch. But for me per se, and and, and let me let me dig a little bit deeper because I don't just want to give like a like a I don't know politically correct or surface answer, but me, right, my lived experience, <clears throat> you know, I if I had to analyze that question, I would say that I typically choose the, the hard way to do something because subconsciously I have a belief that I need to work and I need to earn something in order for me to receive it. Right. So whenever something just falls into my lap or there's a blessing that comes out of nowhere, somebody just wants to sow a seed. It 
it does feel awkward for me because I'm used to having to fight for things and I'm used to having to struggle for things and I'm used to having to work hard and earn stuff. And so uh, subconsciously and even consciously sometimes for me to feel satisfied and for me to feel like, okay, I've earned this so I deserve this, I feel like I have to work for it. I have to sweat. I have to have some sweat equity involved. Um, and I know that it doesn't need to be that way, but I'm just being honest. That's just how I'm built and how I'm wired. So if you give me like the wall or a door, I might be like, yeah, this wall look real good. I might want to run through that. Right. And that's just that's just the nature of it. Now, again, I still want to do so with urgency and rigor. I still want to get from point A to point B. But the way that I feel good, the way that my dopamine gets triggered is I need to uh go through something and get on the other side of it for me to feel satisfied that um, that I deserve or that I've earned this or that, you know, I have a right to do this. So you mentioned people, um, people being punished for being themselves. And I imagine that that's happened to people like at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got, if you've got this person who spent, the last 20 years not really being themselves and they're not really like there's a possibility they're not really aware of like who they are to an extent personally I didn't have like a third person awareness of who I was until Mm -hmm. I took the disc you know what I'm saying so back to that example you're a person that Somebody who's coming to work with you or work for you is looking up to, but they're not quite being themselves. Um, if with them having taken a disc assessment and being aware of what their assessment looks like, um, how would you uh, how would you propose that person start to? understand those characteristics and start to lean in who they who they are and let's start with someone who might have who might be like a like a high d high c yeah so i think with everything it takes education so it's informing them right so this is and again it when you take the assessment we're not telling you who you are you take the assessment and it's scientific data. Like you put the inputs in there and it gave you this output. And it's explaining your preference, how you're wired and all of that. So, that you know, sometimes people reject it. Like, no, nah, I'm not this. But once I start having a conversation with them, it's like, oh, well, yeah. Right. And there's now we start to, well, where did you where did you get that from? Or why do you have this feeling about this part of this aspect of you? And so is is getting them to understand like this is who you are, this is how you excel. This is your superpower, right? Like I, there is a game that is designed specifically for each one of us to win. If we're not excelling at that, it's because we're not playing our game. Most of us are not playing our game because of what society says. There's somebody we trying to make proud or there's somebody we don't want to disappoint or somebody told us this is what we should do. We're living a life that's really not ours. Once you are aware and you take ownership of who you are and you are clear, everything changes. So I'm always looking to God, people like, no, this is what you need to stick to. This is where you are untouchable. This is where you excel and you feel more peaceful there so let's lean into that and then let's let's look for other people around us who we could partner with who we could collaborate with to support us and those are people that are going to want to support you because they're operating in what they are most gifted at and once you start to explain it to people and they realize they're not being a burden to somebody or it isn't going to be you know this weird you know experience it's like a weight gets lifted off of them and they start to get excited. And I see this a lot in team dynamics, right? Most people don't know where they add value 
or how they can add value. So most people are like, well, why am I here? What am I, what am I doing? They feel less than or they feel like they're a waste. But if we're on a team and I say, hey, this is where I'm strong, so this is where I'm going to lead, and this is where I struggle, now we can start to pair people because if you're strong where I'm weak, you can automatically elevate me without me having to ask for it. And you'll do it gladly because it makes you feel good to be useful. And so on a team, in, well, just in general, people excel when they have clarity and when they have confidence. You have clarity because you have the knowledge and the information and you have confidence because you're doing something extremely well and you're doing it with little to no effort. It's an unbeatable tandem. The next question we have, this is a question from Heather NH97 on Twitter. Um, the first question is, I'd be interested in hearing directly from a D what is most annoying about C's. Now, as a high D, um, high C's can get on, well, let me speak about me. They can get on my nerves, right? But I do understand that I need high C's. So if you look at the quadrant, the disc quadrant, right? High D's and high C's are both task-oriented. So that's the good thing. That's where we, where we work well together. Now, the difference between a high D and a high C is a high D wants to get it done and do so efficiently, so with speed. A high C wants to get it done effectively, so they'll take as much time as they need to take in order to get it correctly. And so because... As a high D, I move very quickly and high Ds like to move urgently. There are times where we will um, we may, may drop the ball or may miss a detail or may, you know, not do something in a very thorough way. We're just looking to check a box. A high C is going to correct you. A high C, because they're wired for quality, a high C is... Uh, wired to adhere to policy and procedure and they are afraid of making a mistake a high c is really the anchor of reality in the space and so they're going to correct you and for a high d it's like well who are you talking to like what you mean like okay like so there's this uh this energy about high c's being very particular and maybe nitpicky or being experienced that way but for a high D, I would say the things that may cause friction in an interaction with a high C is one, uh, being corrected by the high C, and then two, the amount of questions that a high C asks. High C's, and high C's actually move like high D's, but they need to have, uh, they need to gather information and they need to ask questions, right? Because again, they're afraid of making mistakes. So for a high D, that could be a lot. It can feel exhaustive. It could feel like, all right, like let's just get get a, get this going and get along with it. Um, and so that could cause an issue. And then also the third challenge may be the speed at which we execute and move. So a high C is going to move much slower and a high D is going to move much faster. So if I had to say the things that would annoy a D about a C, um, and I probably wouldn't use that language personally, but... Those would be the three things, right? So speed at which we execute, it would also be the amount of questions that a high C asks, and then also the fact that a high C is going to correct a high D, and uh, that's just something that we're not really interested in, so... Yo, what's goody fam? Listen, I know, I know, I'm gonna let you get back to the episode, but I wanted to take a minute to let you know about the Human Behavior Mastery course. Yes, we have a course that we put together for coaches, consultants, corporate leaders, and entrepreneurs. I know you're listening to the pod and it's all of this numbers and the, the adaptive and the natural, the D, the I, the attributes. We put together a comprehensive course to walk you through exactly how to understand each one of the personality types, each one of the values, and we're going to show you exactly how to get the most out of each type. 
what things you need to avoid, what environments to put you in, and what pieces to put around you to be successful. So if you're looking at taking your business, your life, or your relationship to the next level, make sure you go check out the Human Behavior Mastery course. Back to the episode. So this was an episode on trust and the different personality types, how to build trust in the workplace, maybe, in relationships. And um, so my question is for you personally, how do you work to build trust as someone who has publicly said many times <laughs> that you don't mess with a lot of people, for lack of a better word? Um, so two things immediately come to mind. One, generally speaking, people are not self-aware, right? So one, people are not usually conscious of the things that they're doing. So I can give grace to a person, but like I've said before, the intent doesn't negate the impact. So there are certain people who mean to do what they do and it's stuff that I don't really agree with or I don't really care for and then there's people who mistakenly do things that I don't care for and in either event I, I'm gonna like minimize my exposure to things that don't align with me do you feel like you get in your own way sometimes I do relationally I do get in my way a lot of times because um it's you know i'm a i'm a very low eye so i'm not the most open person with people that i don't know i'm not super expressive you know with people it takes me time to open up right and most people one are not bringing their true authentic self to a relationship most people are like wearing a mask or they're coming with facade and ego it's going to immediately turn me off right it's going to let me know that we not having a genuine interaction and then I have a high S. So I really like to take my time in doing that. I don't like microwave relationships. So for people that are like you and might be similar to you that, you know, are about making money and want to level up, but it's hard for them to trust. It's hard for them to connect to others. What advice do you have for yourself? What advice can you give to people like that about, I mean, I don't really believe in, um, I don't really believe in stepping outside of your comfort zone, but I think you can like expand who you are. I think you can choose perspectives that actually do serve you. So, you know, one of the things that a couple of my friends would speak to me about is like, you want to create impact, but you say that you don't do, you don't really like care to be with people or be, you know, in spaces and like, but how do you think you're supposed to have the impact if you're not working with the people who you're having impact with? And I was like, oh, I didn't really think of Like the people are the pathway to creating the results, creating the world, creating the kind of, you know, change that I want to see. But I have to look at doing it in a way that's authentic with me. So if I walk into a room full of people, I may not work the room per se, but I may build meaningful dialogue with maybe two people maybe three people. Like I'm not walking into something, looking to network or whatever, but I might build rapport with two or three people in a really meaningful way. And then we could just follow up and build relationship over time. But that it, it, it may be a slower process, right? Some people, um, some people, you know, take the elevator for lack of better terms. And some people take the stairs. Like I'm a person who, takes the stairs it takes me a little bit longer to get there but i would say the relationships that i do build are usually very strong you know they stand the test of time they weather the storms um and i'm comfortable with that like i'm, I'm good with that and i just have to i just have to or i get to explore opportunities to create more relationships like that so putting myself in spaces where I can connect with new people more often. Um, but it's a work. It's a work in progress. Well, I'm a work in progress, rather. What would you say to a person who they just took the DISC assessment, they read their profile, now they feeling like an expert? Everybody that they see or meet, they think they can, like, peg what their profile is just off of a couple of 
a simple conversation and they start like actually what they do, the decisions that they make regarding that person is influenced by what they think they are on the disc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, I, it, one, take your time because it, it takes a lot of time to develop, you know, mastery of this, right? It, it, you know, for me, I, when I took the assessment, I studied my assessment every single day for two years before I ever looked to try to work with somebody or, you know, uh, coach them or do anything like that. Like I really got in tune. And one of the things that you start to develop is pattern recognition, right? So behavior, like the difference between behavior and a habit Behavior is something that happens in isolation. It's a single instance. It's nine times out of ten a reaction to something. A habit is a system. It's something that happens automatically on a subconscious level without you really having to do much. And in order for you to be able to consistently identify people and be able to read people and understand and communicate with them effortlessly, it takes time. Right. So me, like I grew like just for me, I grew up playing chess. One of the benefits of playing chess is pattern recognition. You read a board, you know, like so I, I already have that skill and then I just applied it to the the charts. So nine times out of it's I don't even look through the assessment anymore. I just look at the chart and it just clicks because I've you know, 10,000 hours, I've probably gone through 10,000 plus assessments at this point. It just clicks. But for somebody who's just doing it, I would say take some time to study yourself. And once you come to those moments, those aha moments through discovery, um, one of my favorite things is just to remain in the question. Just ask yourself why or where this comes from or where was the first time I thought this thought and why did I think that? Once you start to be able to unpack that for yourself, now you'll be able to guide somebody else through and, and guide them through the, the, the journey of discovery to understanding themselves. And in doing that now, when you start to interact with other people, instead of projecting, you'll start asking questions. Well, hey, how do you feel about this? Or why does that make you feel that way? And your relationships will just naturally start to get better. But you will also get better at being able to understand, read people, engage people. You'll be emotionally intelligent. Another question from Heather and H97 at Twitter, um, on Twitter rather. Um, is there specific advice or tips for a high C to flex their D muscles? Now, let me say this as a high D. Um, it may sound really like cool or attractive to like, I hear people all the time like, oh, like I want to get my D up or how do I rate? And it's like, it's like, nah, that's not how that works. One, high doesn't mean good and low doesn't mean bad, right? And it's really important that you understand exactly who you are and who you're not because then it allows us to make decisions for you that serve you and allow you to execute more flawlessly. So as a high C, you're not really going to move like a high D. We're, we're built differently. Now, we're both task-oriented. That's cool. But if you want to be more decisive, right, because I think that the things that attract and, and the things that attract people to high Ds is, one, they're very decisive. And that decisiveness is a reflection of, is or is a byproduct of being confident. So... People are attracted to confidence and high C's because they're afraid of judgment and making mistakes. They can be on the fearful side. And so they can find um, attractive the fact that high D's are like, all right, well, what's up? Like being confident and being really self-assured there. The way you can be more decisive is to give yourself a deadline, right? Because as a high C, you're a perfectionist and you really want to make sure things are exact and precise, you'll take a really long time to actually execute. Now, when you do, it's going, it's going to be done in excellence. 
but it just may not be in a particular time frame that it needs to um, if it's an urgent matter. So, you know, because of things, you know, there's Parkinson's law, right? So a person will use whatever time allotted to them to actually execute a task. So if I give you three months, you'll take three months. If I gave you three weeks, you'll take three weeks. If I gave you three days, you'll do it in three days. So I think putting a deadline in place would work really, really well to help a high C feel more decisive. Um, And then being able to be decisive and getting feedback and being able to improve the work that you're going to do over and over again is going to allow you to build up um, a confidence in yourself. And really, once C's have all of their questions answered and they gathered all their information, they kind of move like D's anyway. You can't really tell them anything. So if I had any advice, that would be it, is to put a deadline in place to support you in being more decisive instead of questioning and overthinking. And um, that would be a, the way to flex whatever D muscle you have. Break down the uh, – can you break down – can you give, like, a basic – because, you know, it gets deep, but can you give, like, a a basic framework for breaking down an assessment? Because – do you need context or are you good? No, I mean, go, go expound. Well. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A lot of errors can be made. Like if, for example, the limited, the knowledge that I know about the disc is like basically what I've heard from you describe, like the biggest fear of all all Mm -hmm. four of them. You know what I'm saying? But then it gets it starts getting interesting, especially when you meet people who have both or have like three things that are high. Mm -hmm. And so it's like there's, and then like just the actual chart itself doesn't mean, doesn't, doesn't describe everything. So like the chart itself might describe how, likely they are to behave but then there's other pieces of it that mm-hmm. explain why and that explain you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so how do you how do you break down so the that? way that i look at an assessment right so i'm also understanding that they're the three parts there's disc there's values and attributes and they all speak to different things disc answers how questions how does this person prefer to behave that's observable behavior on you know outside looking in Values answers why questions, the inside. Why is this person behaving that way? What's motivating them on the inside? Attribute speaks to what? What is this person naturally gifted at and what order they process information? If I'm just looking at DISC, right, then there's a couple of things to understand. One, you have to understand that everybody has a unique blend of all four quadrants. I think that's the beautiful thing. It's like, as unique as a fingerprint. Everybody has a unique blend, whether it's in the natural or the adaptive, but everybody's blend is their own. Now you have people who are what I would call pure in that, in a dominant area, right? So they're a pure D or a pure I or a pure S or a pure C, meaning like they're only dominant in that one quadrant and the rest are sort of just midline or low, right? Then you have people who have multiple dominant areas or multiple high areas, right? Um, Maybe a high D and a high I, or some people have high D, high I, high S. But I can always tell when there's one that is their go-to and their dominant because it'll be consistent in their natural and adaptive. It'll, it'll, It'll mirror each other almost. That's how I know, okay, this is really your preference. You're most consistent here. But again, everybody has a unique blend. And then you have people who have what I like to call like unicorn profiles, right? So myself, I'm a high D, but I also have a high S. And if, you know, I mean, I can't really show it here, but 
the the D and the S are juxtaposed to each other because they're opposites. So I have a I'm a 99D, but I also have a 70S. Dave is another person who has a unicorn profile. He's a high I, 99I with a high C. You usually don't get those two things in the same person. And so it gives you this really like unique, hence the unicorn profile term in one person, right? They It's a mix that you don't see uh, very much. And then I will start to look at the relation. I will look at each quadrant in isolation. And then I start to look at each quadrant and how it relates to the other quadrants. And then I look at it in totality. And I look at what the story, what stories being told to me through this chart. I look at, you know, the, like you said, each, each um, personality type has a, uh, a dominant emotion attached to it. Each one has a dominant fear. Each one has a dominant motivator. I look at all of those different things. And again, because I've looked at so many assessments, it just clicks. But there is a sequence and a process that I go through in my mind, but it just happens instantaneously at this point. Is there anything to say about a person who's adaptive is directly inverse to their natural, or is is that even possible? Yeah, so there are people who, um, there are people who have, let's say, a high I, and then their I and their adaptive drops all the way down, right? And then there are people who have a really low I, and their I adapts all the way up. It isn't good, it isn't bad, it isn't right, it isn't wrong, but it tells me something different. It tells me something about you as a person and how you prefer to behave. What does safety look like? How does your how does your mode of safety shift, right? All of us develop these strategies for success over life. And when I say a strategy of success, our goal is to stay safe. We have this like, you know, animal brain where we like, we need to feel safe. Now, when you're zero to seven, for instance, and whatever's happening in your life, you will learn a coping mechanism that gets you out of situations that make you feel uncomfortable, make you feel unsafe. For some people, it's escaping. For some people, it's humor. For some people, it's aggression. For some people, it's you know people-pleasing or whatever. And what happens is because it worked for us and it's continued to work in this season, we carry it into the other seasons of our life. But those situations are not the same. So now we're using this strategy of success because it's familiar and it worked, but then it's not a it's not working with these new situations. And now we have friction. Now we have stress. So then we have to develop a new strategy. And that's where a lot of this work comes in because a lot of us are operating on us, you know, just on this automatic script, but the script isn't working for us. And it's been informed by other people and other influences that aren't in alignment with who we truly are and what we truly need to be, be healthy and be safe as people. We got another question from Heather and H 97 on Twitter. This question is, what are the challenges of working with high I's as a high C, high S? Okay, so, like I said, high D's and high C's are task-oriented, right? So they care about the execution of things, the doing of things. High I's and high S's are people-oriented. Now, a person who is a high I is a creative problem solver. They're very fluid. Uh, they like to move around, right? They're very um, social. They're very, like, persuasive, and they like to move around and be, you know, be fluid. They struggle with attention to detail, right? And not that they don't see the details, but high, high eyes are individuals who don't like things that are rigid, or things that make them feel like they're confined in any way. So a high C and a high S, those are folks who are going to be more likely to adhere 
to rules and policies and procedures. Now, working together, if you're a high C with a high S, then one, you may feel like the high I is doing too much. Like they're moving around. They're they're much more fast-paced than a high S. Somebody who has a high S, they really like for things to be cool, calm, collected. They like for things to be predictable. And a high I is going to be a bit too erratic for them, right? They like to take their time. And a high I moves with a lot of energy. Uh, you, you are a person who's a high C from what I gather. So that means you're really into things being black and white, things being right or things being wrong, and you're not really interested in coloring outside the lines or going outside the box. Where And that's where high eyes live, and that's where they thrive. So there's going to be a difference of approach that may be a challenge. Also, high Cs are very exact and precise and then very thorough and detail-oriented. High eyes are not. High eyes struggle with details, right? They struggle with maybe follow-up or follow-through. But they're very creative and very expansive, um, maybe even esoteric in the way that they approach things. Um, and that is just a difference of approach than a high C. Um, a high I may want to do too much small talk for a high C. High C's really don't like to get into uh, like small talk. They don't like to show emotion. High eyes are very expressive people. They like to hug, very tactile, like to touch. High C's are not really interested in that. It's like, okay, let's stick to the facts and let's stick to the conversation. So that may be where there's an issue. The other thing is being a high C, meaning you're somebody who's really focused on quality and you have a high S, which means that you're very paced and you're very calculated and deliberate. So you have high standards and you take the time necessary to meet your high standards. A person who's a high eye is probably going to move very quickly and in your experience, very erratically. And so there's going to be some there. There may be some friction there with the way the work is done, the quality of the work. Um, and, and I see that being really a challenge between those uh, two personality types working together. And I'll tell you something else I took away from it. And it's actually kind of like a question that I wonder about. Okay. It's like after I took the DISC assessment, I started trying to like look at everybody in that way. But I feel like I went on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like you talked about meaningful conversation. And it was like, I'm just listening to people to figure out, yeah. you know, how they click. Like, and I'm asking questions just to figure out if I can guess what their disc is. But, like, was it like that for you? How'd you get into it? Yeah, so for me, it was interesting. So a little, little uh, backstory. So I actually got into coaching in 2014, right? I went through some training. I went through the training first and then trained on the opposite end. So it was really interesting to experience it firsthand because if I've not done it before, then I don't know what the person sitting in the seat across from me is experiencing. So I went through the experience first and then started training. And then from there, um, I went through training, I would say for probably about a year, maybe, maybe a year or two. And I actually got my first, like, one-on-one -on -one client because these were group settings that I was doing trainings in. I got my first one-on-one -on -one client, I want to say 2016, and I've been coaching since. Now, uh, as it relates to um, DISC, right, that started in 2017, um, you know, uh, God rest the dead, Chris Daniels, um, he did my DISC assessment with me. Now, I had heard of it before, but not really did anything with it. But Chris did my assessment with me. And uh, me, I'm a, I'm a 99D, and Chris was a D. And so it was so interesting to have somebody who mirrored my actual style. Like, I saw myself. I felt myself. 
And it was almost like your more mature self speaking to you in this moment about what you needed to do to evolve. And from there, you know, that was 2017. And I studied my assessment. I studied myself every day for two years before I ever worked with anybody around the assessment. So people look and they're like, yo, man, how do you see that stuff? How do you just know? And how do you just, how does this stuff make sense to you like that? And the only thing I can say is just, I took the time to learn myself, to study myself, right, through this instrument. And in doing so, I learned about other people. I began to ask questions, like, why do I do this? Like, where did this come from? Or why do I behave this way? And so when I'm working with a client, it allows me to see them through the assessment in the same way. And with anything, it's repetition. So the more that you do it, it's pattern recognition. So I can just look at a person's assessment now, and I got it. So you're saying that because you took the assessment, Mm -hmm. you trained in the assessment, Mm -hmm. and then you got to know yourself Mm -hmm. through the lens of the assessment. Because of that, without experiencing what other people have experienced, you could look at their assessment and read their mail. Right. Like, I can, like, I don't, so here's the thing. The assessment is objective data. So Uh we can't argue the data because the data is scientifically proven. Right. Uh This is data. And you input the data. So I didn't give it to you. You put it there. So I can tell you the conclusion of the story, but you have to tell me the inception. You have to tell me, okay, where did this come from? I can tell you, I know that you're very structured, but when was the first time that you felt like you needed to be structured? Why did you feel like you needed to be structured? And you have to fill in the gap of your lived experience. Gotcha. The lived experience then ties to the data, and now... Now you know. Now I know everything makes sense. So it's just a matter of asking questions. And in the process of me studying myself, I had to ask questions and dig and debunk and, well, where did you get this from? Well, why did you take this? Or when was the first time you felt like you needed to protect yourself or do this? All of that was revealed to me through me asking questions because of the assessment. And so one of my my favorite you know, just sort of concepts is to remain in the question. Just keep asking, but where does this come from? Okay, well, where did that come from? And why did you think this, or how did you connect this to this? And from there, you learn by a sense of self-discovery. And so that's a muscle that you develop. So now when I coach people, I can coach from a very true, authentic space because I found that place in myself. So I know how to guide somebody there. You know, I can teach somebody how to fish because I learned how to fish. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you said that you, that D's, some of their fears or fear that they have is to be taken advantage of or to, made, to be made to feel insignificant. Okay. Where, 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 where does that come from? I'm just... Curious because I also think that that can be projected if you're not a a person who's self-aware. It could be projection and it could get in the way of trust building. I think everybody to some degree, well, I think it's natural for people to, to operate out of what makes them feel safe and comfortable. And people's lived experience mixed with their particular worldview or perspective on things is going to create a worldview, an opinion, feelings about things. For a person who's a high D, you're a high D nine times out of 10 because you're operating from a place of feeling unsecure, unguarded, unprotected, or you felt like somebody betrayed or took advantage of you, right? Or somebody mishandled you in some sort of way. So you are assertive as a means to keep yourself safe and protected. That is what fuels and drives you 
to show up that way. Somebody might not have that trauma or lived experience. It might be something completely different for them. Right? Everybody has their own thing. We all have the same thing, the need to feel safe and secure. It just comes from different angles. Has anyone ever broken your trust and was able to rebuild it with you? Um, people, people have broken my trust. We've rebuilt something different. We've rebuilt something different. Um, I forgive people, but I can't forget what happened. Right. So the Can you give us a, a little a spicy story about that. A spy, I don't know what that sounds salacious. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, no, but like here's my thing. The reality is like people people talk about oh you hold grudges. It's like, no, nah, I'm not holding a grudge. If I get to know you and it starts off here, right? It starts off and it grows and expands, right? And I start to get a full view of who you are what I can expect from you, the, the, the sphere of behavior, the, like the scope of who you are. And I'm going to hold on to that. And I'm going to say, okay, well, this is who I can expect this person to be, whatever. This is, this is who I know them to be based on previous behavior. And we're good. And we have a relationship. And then you do something outside of that, that is deviant. I can't unsee that you did this thing. So I now have to add that to the possibility of what you are willing and able to do. And I think that people expect for you to be able to just discard that one thing. And I don't know that that's fair because if we looked at it on the other end of the spectrum, if you did a good thing, you wouldn't want somebody to dismiss it. Right. So I think we have to take everything in totality. And, you know, for some people, again, I said, like, I might not be naive to what you'll do the next time. I might be like, OK, well, it's possible that you do this so I can forgive you. But the, it, it does in some way shift and change the nature of how we may deal with each other, or how we may relate to each other. So in what way? So in what ways could you like, is there a situation I'll just tell you for myself. Right. I imagine that <laughs> <laughs> that if I want another uh, DP or cinematographer, right. I'm looking for someone that's like me to be that person to do to 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 do the shooting to like do the operational part of what I do. Right. I feel like I need to find another person like that. Is, do you agree with that or do you think so? Or If you plan on operating in the business, I wouldn't do that. Okay. If you plan on removing yourself, mm -hmm. you can duplicate yourself. Replace yourself with Yeah, if yourself. you want to replace yourself, that's fine. Okay. But if you're still planning on shooting and you make somebody else, you hire somebody else that's like you, yeah. it's like for what? If anything, you want to hire somebody who's the opposite because they bring different things to the table. Mm. So for me... Like, I know I'm very introverted and reserved. Mm -hmm. I'm a low eye. So I surround myself with people who are high eyes mm -hmm. because they're going to bring energy. They're going to be smiling. I don't, I've been told I don't necessarily look approachable because I'm usually just like, you know, to myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. somebody who's going to greet you with a smile. So sometimes it's, it's situational. Mm. You wouldn't hire a high D for customer service. <laughs> because they're going to offend people most right. of the time because the high D cares about reaching the numbers. Right. That's a high I cares about making sure people feel good. And that's a big part of customer service. Now, if it's a sales rep, you want the sales rep to hit their quota. They need to be a high D most of the time. Okay. Right? So, and there's no right or wrong. What I usually tell people is, what type of person do you want? Because remember, again, fit. What type of person are you looking for? We can hire a cinematographer that's a high D, 
We can hire one that's a high I, one that's a high S, and one that's a high C. They're all going to do the job, but they're going to do it in different ways. Right. They're going to do it in different ways. So, do you want somebody who's going to capture all of the shots on a checklist? Yes. But now things are out of, uh, the, the, the balance is off, it's too much white, like, stuff oh, no. is off, right? Mm -hmm. That's a high D, right? They're going to get you, they're going to check all the boxes, mm. but it might not be exactly the way you want it. Gotcha. A high eye is going to be talking to the person too much <laughs> and may forget, right? Because yeah. the person's going to give them a raving review. Right. Because... The relationship is there, but you're going to get it back and be like, you missed this shot and this shot and this shot. And it was like, yeah, well, you know, I was talking to the high S is going to take a lot of time to do it. They may not move at the pace you need them to. They're going to make sure it gets done, but it's going to take them more time. And the high C is going to not only get it done, they're going to get it done right. Mm -hmm. Very meticulous. They're paying attention to every detail, yeah. right? But what they may not pay attention to is the relational aspect. Right. Having conversation with a person. Like, the vibe. What's the energy? You playing music? What's the ambiance? What's the, right? Like, so, right. again, with every gift, there's a blind spot. Right. And when you know that, you know to get one person from every facet because it completes the environment it completes the team so you want to have a high d but you want to have them in the right spot mm. i always equate it to this making somebody fit in a culture that they don't fit into is like going to like trying to go sit in a car and you're trying to squeeze in or you know like i'm from new york city so getting on a train and it's packed and i'm trying to squeeze into a seat yeah. It's, un it's uncomfortable. Like, I got a person here and here. I'm trying to, like, adjust myself to get in the seat. Right. It's different when you go home for Thanksgiving, though, and everybody embraces you. Hey, how's it going? Da -da -da -da. What do you need? Like, what? Right. No, you, right? And there's a there's family to support. Oh, we know him. He ain't going to do that. Or don't let her cook that. She don't. Right? Right, right, right. The team is embracing you for who you are. The culture is inviting, is warm, versus just fit into this peg. Mm. And so when you put a person in a role, as opposed to making the role revolve around the person, you set them up for failure. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.